You are listening to the Hodges Huddle, where we discuss all things happening in the wide world of sports. Here is your KLSU sports team. Welcome into the Hodges Huddle. I am your host today, Patricia Caputo. Joining me is Andre Champagne and Cassidy Johnson. How are you both doing today? Amazing. Awesome. How are you? I am doing great as well, especially that LSU defeated Alabama, words that I did not think I would be saying here on this fine Tuesday. LSU comes away with a 32-31 win in overtime. Alabama drops to number 10 in the AP polls. LSU moves up to number 7. And let's start this show off speaking about Mason Taylor, the freshman, the tight end, coming into this season, he did have a few costly drops. He was struggling to get into this lineup a little bit, just as most people on this team were. And then not only does he have a potential game winner late in the fourth quarter, but then when the team heads into overtime, he is the game winning two point conversion to knock off Alabama for the first time in Death Valley since 2010. Speaking of Mason Taylor, Andre, what have you seen from Mason Taylor and how he's progressed from the beginning of this season until now when he helped make history on Saturday? Yeah, Mason Taylor's just grown up as a football player because he really had to. Uh, he's a freshman, so he, he had to learn the game really fast, and he was the tight end that we were going to go to, you know, starting from the jump. So he's done well at, you know, growing and learning the game quick. Uh, Brian Kelly said that you know, he gained 20 pounds since he first got to LSU, which I think is a really big reason why he's been so successful, because he's just a bigger guy and you can't really stop him. He's just huge. Yeah, he's a unit. 6'5". How much is he? I did see somewhere that he... 230? Huge. And just him being like an actual true freshman, I think that's awesome. And um, I saw somewhere where he also like was spending hours on the practice field trying to get chemistry with him and Jaden, and um, he's also improved on his blocking, so I saw that as well. He's in there day in and day out. Yeah. Also props to Jaden Daniels. He was the team's leading rusher once again with 95 yards, and most notably had the game-winning touchdown in overtime as he ran into 25 yards into the end zone, and then that set up that two-point conversion where Brian Kelly took a risk there, but it counted. It, he made it count, and LSU fans were extremely happy after this game, of course, as they knock Alabama out of the playoffs. And speaking about this LSU defense now, now this defensive line was dominant. They got to Bryce Young. Harold Perkins once again had another great game. If I'm not mistaken, he won SEC Defensive Player of the Week, along with Mason Taylor, who won SEC Freshman of the Week. And speaking of this secondary, though, this LSU secondary, they had their struggles early in the beginning of the season. Coming into the season, they had lost almost everybody. There was only two cornerbacks coming into the season that were on scholarship from last season. So what improvements, Cassidy, did you see from the, them this week as they had to go up against this dominant Alabama wide receiver core? I just think they've been better at actually locking up their receivers, not letting them get too far down the field and getting, you know, that disadvantage of, oh, like my receiver's already downfield. <laughs> um, and better at tackling as well, wrapping up, not trying to play hero ball because, I mean, I saw this during the Alabama game where they try and, like, get the ball out instead of just getting the man down. But um, not a lot of that. But also, I'm not going to hate on them and say they didn't perform well, but they're – the receivers really weren't getting any good balls to catch in the first place also because um, Bryce Young was, like, tripping. But I think they do look better. They have improved. But I don't think they're just, like, outstanding with this game, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think going into the season, you could have told me that they were going to do well at containing Bryce Young and Bama receivers. I would have laughed. I probably <laughs> would have. Uh, but it's amazing just how we did it and how we limited them. Um, but we have seen the corners play more physical, kind of like Cassidy said. We've just seen them not allow them to get upfield as much as they used to. Uh, like pretty much Florida receivers were kind of doing it against us. But, you know, after – or Tennessee – pretty much was doing it against us and after that we didn't see it much but it's just finally paying off that you're being more physical and sticking to your game. Ja'Cory Brooks was a guy that seemed to be Bryce Young's main target in that game on Saturday but Bryce Young there were still a few costly drops from Brooks and Bryce Young and him had a difficult time making that connection a lot of that was credit to guys like Makai Gardner who went out there and who made big plays and what's most important about this team and this defense is that there were a lot of questions coming into the season of how well can this secondary perform now what our former sports director we had the opportunity to talk to Tyler Viso today and he made a comment saying well this defensive line is so dominant it, that it really takes the pressure off the secondary. And that's extremely helpful when you have guys out there like B.J. Ojolari and Harold Perkins and Makai Wingo as well, who's able to step into their role and make plays, put pressure on the quarterback. And then the secondary doesn't have to guard for as long, but they still are able to make those strides, especially against Brooks, locking him up as best to their ability. But we can't finish talking about this game without giving some credit to the fans. That was a sold-out stadium on Saturday. The fans were electric, and this is what Brian Kelly had to say about the fan base bringing energy into the stadium. The offensive player of the week, um, and then we had uh, freshman of the week, uh, Mason Taylor, pretty good uh, selection there, I would say. And then uh, Defensive player Harold Perkins, so congratulations to those guys based upon uh, their play. Um, you know, just a great atmosphere in Tiger Stadium. Um, I think our fans were, you know, obviously uh, a great motivating factor to creating, you know, one of those environments that, um, you know, you all um, talk about, but, um, you know, you want to be able to be part of it. And I think, uh, you know, our players fed off of that. And uh, certainly they, uh, we had talked about it Thursday that, um, you know, when we were in the stadium that, um, you know, they're going to be out there, but uh, your performance will dictate um, the kind of involvement that our crowd has. And it's going to require play in and play out a sustained effort. And I think that that sustained effort by our football team created that sustained atmosphere in our stadium. It wasn't an up and down kind of involvement. It was every single play, um, our crowd was uh, active and involved. And and I think it had a lot to do with the kind of play that uh, our players uh, were involved in. Now, as someone who was working the game, it was a chilling effect to see all of the fans into the stadium. At one point when they were singing Colin Baton Rouge, they had their flashlights on. It was just exciting. Andre, how much of an impact did these fans have against Alabama, Bryce Young, and the rest of this team? It was huge. I mean, my ears were ringing. Like, I had a huge headache (laughs) at, like, the fourth quarter start of it. It was just so loud. You could tell Bama was on their heels on offense, especially just with – you know, Bryce Young was making some really bad throws due to our pressure. And I think with the fans being loud, of course, you know, it might have had to do with him and his, you know, team not being able to communicate as well. So, but, you know, 
especially at the end, they were on their heels. It was the Bama defense that was really on their heels. We knew when to get excited. We knew when to cheer. And especially for that two-point conversion, you know, with everything going on, I think they got flashbacks to that Tennessee game. They were like, uh-oh, if, this, if, this, if, we, if we let this up, they're going to do it again. They're going to rush the field, and we did, so – yeah, there there were so many people there. I don't think it was legal. Like I think there was <laughs> oh, way yeah, like too oversold many. Oversold it. Yes, yeah. because whenever I mean, my friends and I we were going to the game. We couldn't find a seat. We were circling the student mm-hmm. section, and I mean, I finessed the seat. Um, it was actually a really good seat, but it was very loud. It was, I, it was so much going on. So I see why like, Bama was tripping. Like it was a lot going on, and it was really loud. And the fan base was so helpful because Alabama, especially their defense, Andre, like you had pointed out, has struggled this season on the road. They go into these hostile environments. And I don't know, I haven't been to a whole lot of other college football stadiums, but LSU seems like an extremely hostile environment. Judging by what I've seen, Andre, I know you probably know a little bit more as you've been an LSU fan for so long. But maybe you could confirm that LSU is an extremely hostile environment. It's one of the worst to play in at night. Like, that's just... Prime. Exactly. And Bryce Young said it in his press conference. You even had Lane Kiffin a few weeks ago say that it's a difficult place to play in. So it definitely did help secure this win and draw some penalties for Alabama as well, as they had about 91, 92 yards worth of penalties, rather. And speaking of this, LSU, Alabama, I mean, you look at Alabama every year and you go in saying, okay, you're most likely going to lose this game. Most SEC teams do that. But now you have Brian Kelly in the mix. Brian Kelly is with a team that isn't necessarily his. He hasn't been able to recruit everyone that I'm sure he had hoped to recruit because of how late he came into the game. So is this just, Cassidy, years upon years of possibly this LSU and Alabama matchup? I think so, and I like how it's gonna it's gonna be more competitive now. I mean, for a really long time, maybe like the past ten years, Alabama has been the standard of college football. Like you, when you beat Bama, you rush a field. Bama doesn't rush. <laughs> yes. Like, they're winners. So I'm excited to see where this can go. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, we have Bama. Like, it's going to be like, oh, we have Bama. Like, this could be anybody's game. And so I am excited about that. And I think that's what's going to start happening. Yeah, I think it's the start of, like, more competitive battle. But I do firmly believe that LSU is going to start to control that rivalry, sort of. Not, okay. like, hugely. I think it's going to be, like, maybe – LSU wins it two years in a row. Bama comes back, wins one or wins two in a row. It'll be more even. Like, yeah. It's not going to be like completely dominant, but I do think LSU is going to control it more. Yes, this has been very lopsided for so long, and now this season you've seen those changes and those differences. Again, a credit to Jaden Daniels because he has to be credited for the work he has done, but what Brian Kelly has been able to do with this team and the trust that he's been able to develop with this team, especially taking a risk, going for a two-point conversion and not playing it safe against one of the best teams in college football did you see where he was like someone was like oh what made you go for the two-point conversion he's like I really just wanted the game to be over that's what like that's what he said in the press conference he said if you had given me one play and you said okay with this one play you have the opportunity to beat Alabama why would I not take that and they've never played I don't I think the play that they did for the two-point conversion they never like they never played it he said Mason Taylor said they practiced but yes they wanted to throw Bama off I just love that Mm -hmm. yeah so 
I think that's pretty, like, he's cutthroat. I like it. Exactly. And that's what makes him so great. That makes him a great coach. And just saying he does fit into the culture. Once again, I was wrong saying that. I don't know if if he's going to fit into here. But exactly. Oh, yes. I love being wrong. It's a theory. On the last Tuesday podcast, you were like, I mean, I feel like we could be Bama, though. So you were right about that. Yes. I I did say it's a possibility. It's a tailgate show thing. But it is. Every tailgate show. Okay. She. Every time, I, and we're, not even, gonna say it. we're not even going to say it. I said, I said, Bama would win forty-five oh. to thirty-one, and they hey, didn't. Thirty-one, they you were right. 31? About thirty-one. Oh, I was right about the thirty-one, but it wasn't LSU. Okay, but <laughs> moving on. So moving on, because we'll have another tailgate show on Friday, live from the Student Union at eleven thirty a.m., where we'll give our breakdown and analysis of the Arkansas matchup against LSU. Arkansas will take on LSU in their home stadium at eleven a.m. this Saturday. And this is what Brian Kelly had to say about that upcoming matchup. You know, obviously playing a team that uh, has a very um, prolific offense and in terms of uh, players, it starts with their quarterback. Um, I think it's the fifth time now we've seen a big physical quarterback, KJ Jefferson, 6'3", 240. You know, he's got 17 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns. you know, he's going to be a handful. Uh, another guy that we've got to be able to control um, what he does and, and, and get him on the ground. Now, if you're Brian Kelly, you're coming off an amazing win against Alabama, a historical win. This was Brian Kelly's first ever win against Nick Saban in now their third meeting. But if you're Brian Kelly and this coaching staff, what do you have to do to remind this team that you have to move on from that win and you have to prepare for what could be "Quote unquote," a trap game for Arkansas, Andre. Pretty much like Kelly said, you can't think of it like a, like a trap game. He said, you know, if you think of it as a trap game, then you're not a good football team because you're supposed to beat the team. So if you're LSU, you have to play this game like you played uh, Bama or any other team with same energy. With UAB coming to town, not this week but next week, I think it's a good opportunity for LSU to really just put all not put all their energy, but just really try and get this game. You know dominate just dominate from the start so that you can get into uab which which is we know you know uab is going to be a chill week the guys aren't going to play as much during uab so yeah i agree i would just make sure tell the team like we got to lock in we can't get too comfortable because a lot of teams do that they get comfortable and it's college football and it's the sec anything can happen so not to tread lightly for this mm-hmm. game and just to play it like you would any other game, like Andre was saying, like play like this is Bama. Definitely. I would not count out Sam Pittman and KJ Jefferson Absolutely and not. he's coming back into this mix this mix for this Arkansas team. As they are still a good team, they just had some early struggles, some injuries in the beginning. And as you said, Cassie, anything could happen yeah. in SEC play. So you don't want to take anything for granted. But let's move on, continuing talking about LSU sports and LSU women's basketball. They began their season on Monday as they defeated Bellarmine University 125 to 50. That was the most points ever scored in a women's basketball game against the opponent here at LSU. Andre, did you have any key takeaways from this game on Monday? Just pure dominance. Uh, we knew it was going to happen. Just It's going to be really fun to watch how everybody kind of plays their role eventually and just you know how those leaders on our team are going to play angel reese is just phenomenal Mm -hmm. that's that was really my takeaway yeah i was going to say that as well it's cool 125 points that's crazy (laughs) i think the record was 118 originally so 125 is crazy and there was a record of most free throw shots as well so that's cool i think it was 44 but um my key takeaway is like this team is very talented 
And I can see us going really far with this team. Yes, Angel Reese, as you had said, Andre, someone to point out, she only played 24 minutes and had 31 points along with 13 rebounds. And that was someone who Kim Mulkey said she's not playing in the expedition game. She's not hurt. She's healthy, but just wanted to wait. And that was extremely helpful. It throws off a team. It throws off a defense because you don't have a whole lot of film with her under head coach Kim Mulkey. She was a transfer from Maryland this offseason, highly ranked in the transfer portal, and came in. And yesterday, she automatically looked like a leader. She even even when she was on the bench, she was yelling at her teammates saying, look, watch out for this person, watch out for that person. Just the fundamentals of basketball, trying to help everybody get better. And is there anybody else that stuck out to you or possibly was Angel Reese the person that stuck out to you as a leader on this team this season? Yeah. yeah. Was, okay. You go. You go, yeah. Cassie. Angel Reese, I already knew she was going to be good. You know, she was the number one transfer in the portal. Um, in At Maryland, she was dominant like you said 31 points 13 rebounds along with that she had four steals two assists and two blocks she was just dominant on the court and you can just see that like she's just so talented she does want to be there on the bench off the bench she is a great leader but also um Samaya Smith she's a freshman she had a double double in her debut which I think is great She's a very fluid player, which is, and she plays very confident, which is very impressive to be a freshman to look like that on the court. And she's got a nice jump shot, which I was looking at. So she yeah, stood out for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think Kateri Poole, mm-hmm. she played really well coming off the bench last night, but she's a pure scorer, just kind of like Angel Reese. Angel Reese is just so good at rebounding. Like she's mm-hmm. just, I don't know, she just, she has a basketball build. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yes. it's, it's just pure dominance. And uh, just gifted with that basketball build, and just she's just going to be great. Now, right now, the Tigers are ranked number sixteen. In the coming weeks, they'll go on to take Western, uh, take on Western Carolina, Houston Baptist, along with Northwestern State. None of those teams, as of right now, are ranked. So there were a lot of new faces on this team. They did lose a lot last season due to the draft, due to players just graduating. But what sort of advantages to playing these type of unranked teams, similar to Bellman University? They're not in the SEC. The pressure isn't as much. What of an advantage can that give to a team that is still growing and developing? I mean, you get time to really build your chemistry. You get to see what kind of play schemes work, which ones don't work. You learn who you are as a player and who works well with each other, what kind of lineup you want to have, who do you want coming off the bench. It's a lot. Like the, um, It's unlimited. Like There's a lot of things you can work on. And, I mean – Obviously, you want to play every game like the best you can, but you're right. These are not ranked teams. It's not the SEC. The pressure is kind of off. So you can, you know, mess around and see what is going to be the best kind of team you're putting mm-hmm. on the floor, the best unit. Yeah, exactly what Cassidy said pretty much. Like you, you can experiment. You can experiment yeah. with your rotation. you got to find those eight, nine players that you want to play like every night pretty much. Find that, you know, certain just rotation that you want to – play when it comes down to sec play because you know you're playing a lot of cupcakes right now but yeah you know a lot of people are going to get their playing time but it's not going to be like that come sec play yes i agree with you all and it does it helps you just get comfortable with your lineup kim mulkey from the beginning said the most important part for these women is to get into the eight or nine that rotation there that you don't need to be in the starting five but starting off with these what you could say quote-unquote easier games that you come in, you're able to get a little bit more comfortable and you're develop 
able to develop a little bit more of a rotation. But speaking of teams that just can't seem to develop any sort of connection are the Saints. The Saints took another loss to the Ravens on Monday night. The Ravens won 27-13. to The Saints fall to 3-6, and and the Ravens move to 6-3. and Let's start off talking about Andy Dalton. Now, there has been some controversy. Andy Dalton has been playing because Jameis Winston has been injured, so Andy Dalton takes on the starting role. Yesterday, he throws for 210 yards, a touchdown, along with an interception. But there has been a, some rumors that possibly Andy Dalton could take over for Jameis Winston. Andre, we'll start with you since you are a Saints fan. What do you feel about that? Do those rumors ring to be any more true after this loss to the Ravens? Absolutely not. Just no. <laughs> no. No. Andy Dalton played so bad against the Ravens. I think the Ravens defense did play well, but Dalton has just been flat out horrible. Um, hit. He just can't make reads anymore. He's he's throwing to receivers, and it, it's not good throws. It's not good leads. And, and it doesn't help that the Saints are pretty much, you know, all, you know, in an ambulance right now. So um, we'll, we'll see. You know, I, I really don't know what to think of it. Andy Dalton is just bad. Please put Jameis back out there. I think that Andy Dalton is – his expectations are set so much lower mm-hmm. than – quarterbacks in the league because if this, I feel like if this was any other team this man would be this man would have a job or anything I think and I think that they hold him to different standards for whatever reason I don't know I'm sure he's a great guy but we're bad the whole team I'm is sure bad. I'm sure but because um, I saw somewhere where yeah the head coach he said um, he didn't consider benching Andy Dalton throughout the whole game he that thought didn't go through his mind he was just saying I'm looking at this as a bad day at the office that's what the coach said about Andy Dalton's performance it's been like that for a while now that's what I'm saying how many bad days are you having at the job but four straight (laughs) I just think like I don't know why I think they hold Andy Dalton to higher standards or why just fans in general, even if you're not a Saints fan, is that he was a starting quarterback for the Bengals for so many years. And you look at a guy like maybe Cooper Rush on the Cowboys and you say, well, if Cooper Rush is able to do it and he started in four games his whole career, why can't Andy Dalton? But there's also a lot more problems with this Saints team than just the quarterback, what I would not call a controversy anymore, but the quarterback issues there. The Ravens shut down Alvin Kamara last night in this run game. Kamara only had 30 yards on the ground. Dwayne Washington was next up with only seven yards on the ground on three carries. But also, we got to talk about this Saints wide receiver court. You have Michael Thomas go down for now a third year in a row. He's played only three games this season and is not expected to play for the rest of the season. You pick up guys like Chris Olave in the draft. Jawan Johnson has been able to make plays for this team when needed, but... Do the Saints need a guy like possibly OBJ? I know he's not on their radar right now. Odell Beckham possibly talking with the Cowboys. I know the Giants are interested in him. But, Andre, we'll go back to you. Is OBJ on your radar if you're the Saints right now? Not really. Just because you have you have Olave, who's been phenomenal. And then Jarvis just can't stay healthy. Neither can Michael Thomas. Really nothing you can do about that. Uh, Raheem Shahid has stepped up for the Saints big time. Um, and then you had... Callaway, who's, you know, he's done well. Traquan Smith has done well, but not great. So it, there's really nothing you can do. OBJ is just going to ask for a lot of money and underperform. Um, no offense, but that's just how it is. And I feel like 
I just don't think it would work just because sometimes I feel like when you add somebody like Odell Beckham Jr. to your team, it's kind of hard to mesh him, I feel like. And it's like, I don't know. I think if you have a really good receiver and a quarterback who's not really doing anything, what's what's happening? You got that Porsche under that meme. That's what that is. You have a Man. Porsche under. And I do want him on the Cowboys, so maybe that's okay. just me being biased. A Porsche under a gross shed, possibly. But I wouldn't count the Saints just yet because why OBJ could possibly make change this Saints offense is because you look at the Rams and you look at their struggles now that OBJ is gone and granted Van Jefferson is injured as well. But the Saints could make an improvement here, and part of that could be just be OBJ helping open up this run game. That was a problem for the Cowboys years ago before Amari Cooper came into that mix that so much attention was on Ezekiel Elliott that he had trouble running the ball, and they were predictable. Well, now you bring in a guy like OBJ, I know you have to pay him a lot of money, so that is something you have to think about. Is that someone that you want to pay him a lot of money? Does Odell even want to play with the Saints right now, or does he want to no, play with a team who wants to win? Because there are teams that are winning right now, as Cassidy mentioned, the Cowboys, now even the Giants. But if if you're the Saints and you're looking to win some games, OBJ, he could come back home, help open up this offense. Alvin Kamara could possibly get plenty of more yards rushing, and then it takes eyes off defense. So you're not just focusing on Alvin Kamara. Now you're focusing on Chris Olave, who becomes that second string, and Odell Beckham Jr. But also you have to be aware of he is coming off that ACL injury. So that's something else that you have to say, okay, is he going to be injury prone, just like Jarvis Landry, just like Michael Thomas Jr.? It is a risk, but possibly something the Saints might have to consider to potentially save the season, if there is any saving left to do. No offense, Andre. (laughs) But let's move on to this Ravens team who played tremendously last night. And let's talk about Roquan Smith. He comes over from the Bears right before that trade line. He said he was shocked. What improvements did you see, Andre, with him and this Ravens defense? He's been elite. Uh, I think it just took that, you know, he needed to be in the right defense, you know, uh, and He's there with the Ravens. The Ravens' pass rush is just elite. They played so well last night. And they they had four sacks, but it felt like they had more mm-hmm. just because Dalton was, like, throwing it away almost every other play. So it, it was – they looked so good. Yeah. He's yeah. a great addition to that team. Mm-hmm. Smith had two tackles, three assisted tackles, and also was just able to apply the pressure there on Andy Dalton. That was extremely helpful for them to win this game. And Smith did request a trade from the Bears – earlier this offseason and then finally got to leave, go to Baltimore, and will most likely make a lot of big plays for them as they have quickly improved their season. As I mentioned before, they are now 6-3. and three. But we have to also give credit to Lamar Jackson, quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He was playing without Rashad Bateman, who is now out for the year, that wide receiver, along with running backs J.K. Dobbs and Gus Edwards. So let's talk about Lamar Jackson, just how he fared Cassidy in this game with so many key pieces missing in this offense. I mean, and I think he did what Lamar Jackson does, and that's just play very well. He looked good. He was making – did y'all see that throw he made? Like, he didn't even, like, step or do anything or put any leg power. He just tossed the ball. It was an amazing pass. Peyton Manning was like, listen, <laughs> y'all don't do that. Future quarterbacks, don't do that. I can't even do that. That's just Lamar Jackson. He's talented, which he is. I think he played a very good game without most of those key pieces that he really needs. Yeah, I agree. I think Lamar made all the plays he needed to. Which I was most impressed with him on third down last night. He was just extending plays, you know, with his legs, doing what he does best. 
and uh, made the Saints pay. Saints couldn't tackle, made them pay. And not to mention Mark Andrews, the tight end, also did not play in that game as he continues to deal with a shoulder injury. So Isaiah likely really did step up, had a touchdown there for the Ravens, and Keenan Drake coming into his role as he rushed for 93 yards and two touchdowns on 24 carries. That was something that was unexpected, as a lot of people in the NFL might have counted Keenan Drake out. But he came in and fulfilled what he needed to do for this Ravens team. And now we have, once again, these rapid-fire questions. We're going to do it a little differently this time. We're not analyzing so much games, but some big questions this week that happened around the NFL that were quite surprising. And we're going to put four minutes on the clock. We have four questions to answer right after I finish the first question. That's when I will start the clock. And we're going to start off talking about the Bears. Now, the Bears did lose 35-32 to to the Dolphins this weekend, but Justin Fields went 17 for 28 and threw for 123 yards along with three touchdowns and then broke a record as he is now the first quarterback in the regular season to rush for 178 yards on 15 carries along with a touchdown. With that being said, Andre, we will start with you. We will start this four-minute timer. Is Justin Fields the next franchise quarterback for the Bears? For yes now, but if you're Chicago, you got to give him some weapons or he's going to be going in a while. Cassidy? Yeah, I agree. I mean, they just added a Claypool, but he really didn't do anything, so he needs somebody else. Right. This defense has to step up for the Bears. They have to make some big improvements there. Along with that offensive line, Justin Fields needs some protection. And again, those wide receivers, those running backs, right now it cannot just all be Justin Fields. But in years to come, he definitely could be this franchise quarterback for this team. Let's move on to this Packers game as the Packers took a loss to the Detroit Lions. The Lions win their second game of the season and the Packers fall to 3 and 6. The Lions win 15 to 9. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, is he a victim of father time or are the Packers just not providing him with the weapons he needs? Cassidy, what do you think? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, he's pushing 40 and some people can play Almost at the age of 40, he's just not one of them. But he also, like, they they traded away one of his top weapons. So, I mean, what can you do with that? So I think it's a mix. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was just absolutely pathetic against Detroit. (laughs) He couldn't make a throw to save his life. I mean, when you lose the lines, you lose the lines. Nothing. That's no other said. I I can't put this into words right now. It's it's so bad. (laughs) But to remind you, the Lions – did score they were averaging about 35 points with the offense that was the highest in the league early in the season they're just losing games they come away with this win Aaron Rodgers three interceptions were definitely not helpful for this Green Bay Packers team but part of that just has to do with not having enough weapons again as Cassie said you lose a guy like Devontae Adams that's a big change and the Packers don't seem to want to help their franchise quarterback who has been their franchise quarterback for so long but definitely think it's a little bit of both as he is also probably a victim of father time speaking of tom brady as we move on to our second to last question with about a minute and 50 left tom brady looked like himself again as he threw a game-winning touchdown pass to cole Oten with nine seconds left in the game to defeat the rams on sunday 16 to 13 andre can tom brady continue to help his team win games or is he a victim of father time as well and this was just one good win both i mean i think the bucks are still not where they need to be but they're going to get better every team in the nfc south is just getting worse and they're getting better so (laughs) it's their division to lose yeah i agree i think it's a mix of both he he did look better but i can't see them going far in the postseason 
They will take on the Seahawks in Germany on Sunday at 8.30 oh a.m. So that would be an interesting game for Tom Brady. First ever game in the NFL played in Germany. But I'm not 100% sold on this Bucks team. I don't think it's just Tom Brady, this offensive line, the wide receivers, the connection. Wouldn't count out possibly the greatest quarterback of all time out just yet. But there's definitely a lot of questions. All right, we have about 50 seconds left. The Colts fired their head coach and then hired interim head coach Jeff Saturday, who has never coached in the NFL, in college football, in high school, ever. Let's talk about Jeff Saturday. Andre, what type of hire was this for the Colts? Is this a good one? Absolutely not. What are the Colts <laughs> doing with their franchise? I mean, it's over for them. It's over for the city of Indianapolis. It's it's over for the Colts. Just tank. He has no coaching experience. I I mean, this. I'm not trying to defend him because I think that was an awful hire and a slap in the face to some potential coaches. Yes. He has coached in high school. Okay. Sorry about that. that is, hey. But that, that is but no college, that. no NFL. Count that. I no, coach, I wouldn't count that either. I could coach, never mind, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I could coach high school. I feel like any of us could coach high school. Get us a, a good squad. I think we could go to the state championship. But um, I think that was a, a bonehead hire and a slap in the face. So bad hire. I do. Just to wrap this up real quick. He has coached high school. Okay, we'll give him that. But even in the press conference, he said that he was shocked to hear about (laughs) this win. He did not expect to get a call from the Colts saying, hey, do you want to come work here? And speaking of it being a slap in the face, I really do think it is a slap in the face to the Colts coaching staff that someone on that staff should have that role, should be taking over as interim head coach and probably helping out his career in the NFL. And now that opportunity was ripped away from him with a team that's clearly struggling. And now you hire someone who I'm not 100% sure can help your team because that's a big jump from high school to the NFL. Yeah. Not 100% sold on it. But that's just exactly. It's another thing. That's the thing about sports. A lot of it's just you're going to have to wait and see. Okay. Andre with the hot take. The Colts, they're going to be struggling for many years to come according to Andre Champagne. Said it here, heard it here first. <laughs> With that being said, that is all we have for you today. Make sure you tune in to The Tailgate Show on Friday at 11.30 a.m., along with The Sunday Show, Out of Bounds, which airs from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock p.m. Also, I'd like to th- thank Jonah Webster, our production producer, as he edits us all together and makes it sound so pretty. Thank you so much, Jonah. I am Patricia Caputo with Andre Champagne and Cassie Johnson. This has been the Hodges Huddle. <laughs>